The wealthmanagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm, 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong with wealthmanagement.com. This is, as you know, the podcast that gives me just an excuse, an opportunity to talk to folks in the industry who are pushing wealth management forward into new and interesting areas. And I think certainly today's guest fits the bill for that. Uh, Cheryl Penny, the co-founder and president of Dynasty Financial Services. Cheryl, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Thank you, David. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when we talk about advisor innovations, I think uh, you know Dynasty was on the forefront of a lot of the stuff, and and I think you know everyone knows Dynasty. I think uh, uh, so. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but could you just take us back and you know where you were when the idea of Dynasty popped into your head? What problems were you seeing in the wealth management industry that you were trying to solve, and why were you trying to solve them? What was the opportunity you saw? What was the problem you saw? Where were you back then, if I could throw you back that far? Sure. Uh, and you know, part, part of my, you know, my background is I had helped build and then run the private wealth management business for a large brokerage firm, which no longer exists, a firm called Smith Barney that many of your listeners would, would probably recall. And sitting in literally hundreds, if not a thousand, end client meetings with the firm's top advisors, I just observed that the way that the ultra wealthy, uh, these clients and prospects that were being brought in, especially those with family offices, the way they started to think about how they would purchase uh, their wealth management advice uh, was becoming more and more triangulated. And what I mean by that, they were getting advice from their family office completely separate from where assets would safely be custody. And then separate again from where products were manufactured and, and sold. Uh, and they had uh, basic technology, reporting technology and the like that would tie that experience together for the advisor and for them. And I remember thinking, and David, this is probably you know 15 plus years ago, wouldn't it be great if we could democratize the triangulation of advice? If we could have a million dollar client uh, that was working with an independent registered investment advisor uh, that had a scaled infrastructure behind him or her uh, that could go out and pick any cu- custodian that they like uh, on behalf of the client and then go out to any product manufacturer, whether it's asset management, credit, insurance, capital markets, and the like, uh, and put that experience together in a similar way uh, that, that what had been historically reserved only for the ultra-wealthy wouldn't that accelerate the movement towards independence? And that was part of the early stage uh, thinking of, of Dynasty. And we launched the business December of 2010. Uh, and since that time, we've onboarded uh, over 300 advisors, 50 firms uh, that, uh, uh, that those advisors uh, represent, uh, and now uh, you know, roughly $75 billion in assets on the platform. Did you know back in the, the way that I think about this is that uh, firms like Dynasty were basically freeing the advisor from the old traditional mode of being sort of the, the salesman at the tail end of Wall Street to 
independent business owners who could give fiduciary based advice to clients. Was there a hunger for that at the time? Did you see advisors trapped kind of in the uh, traditional Wall Street four walls looking to change? I mean, how did you know that there would be a demand for the services that you were going to offer advisors? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and yes, the, the, the movement towards independence, again, we're going back now 15 years uh, or, or so ago, had started and you, you were seeing, I guess what I would describe more rugged individualists, uh, some advisors, early movers, pioneers that were going out uh, and starting to launch uh, their own businesses. But again, really being proximate with the end client, which is really kind of where the rubber meets the road in, in, in our industry, uh, or frankly, probably most industries, uh, what I was uh, you know, observing and hearing, again, was this desire to get advice separate from where products were manufactured and sold. And what much of the press has, has really, in some ways, missed, to be candid, uh, over the last you know, decade plus, is so much of the independent movement has actually been driven by the breakaway client as much or more as it has been by the breakaway advisor. Uh, and if you look at asset flows uh, of the custodians, you know, as a barometer, as an example, uh, you look at, uh, you know, literally hundreds of billions of dollars now that are coming into the RAA custody space, into the independent space, uh, which is representative of organic growth of the RAAs that they support. That on the annualized basis actually far exceeds new store sales. New store sales is our advisors breaking away from independent broker dealers, as well as breaking away from wirehouses and going to, to full independence. Uh, that number is much smaller versus the organic growth number. So we were seeing, you know, by paying attention to the wires uh, that were going out, they were going out on a more accelerated basis to the, you know, to the REA custodians. Uh, and then once, you know, the, the level of breakaway advisor started to match the demand of the client to get advice you know, more on, a, on an independent basis, uh, layer on top of that innovation and technology and capital and maybe some other things that we'll discuss, you kind of have a perfect storm for why the whole independent movement has accelerated over the last decade plus. I always thought of Dynasty as the landing place for the wirehouse advisor who was breaking away. Has that changed in recent years? Are you finding that there's less wirehouse breakaways and more RIAs changing from either an independent shop wanting to join up with a, a back office platform like yours, or maybe joining from a, another captured regional broker dealer or some other dynamic? Yeah, look, I, I think we've done, Dynasty has done more billion dollar breakaways uh, than, than anyone in the industry over the last decade. Uh, and the result of that, uh, those are exciting stories. Uh, so people you know, get to know Dynasty uh, as a firm that certainly can facilitate these larger uh, breakaways. But the reality is uh, we've also launched quite a number of firms coming from the independent broker-dealer channel that wanted more autonomy, more independence, maybe wanted to upgrade uh, some of the technology or increase flexibility for how they grow, including inorganic growth. Uh, with M&A, et cetera. And quite a number of our clients have come uh, to your question, uh, David, from RIAs that are really uh, looking to focus on their team internally or looking to focus on uh, client service. They maybe don't want to so much juggle 45 different vendor balls. Uh, so they're looking to outsource more of their integrated technology stack. They want to leverage uh, us for synthetic scale. 
uh, meaning they get all the access to the personnel and talent that we have here without having to directly put them on their P&L. We've done some, some interesting research over the years looking at, if you, if you look at where we sit today, the average REA on our platform uh, is north of a billion dollars. Uh, and you look at REAs uh, that are not on our platform at similar size, what you find is those firms on average have four to five more personnel. So higher fixed costs, but also, you know, people uh, require, you know, time to manage and that's time that could be deployed, you know, with clients and and getting new ones. So uh, we're seeing several hundred basis points uh, of increased profitability for firms on our platform versus their peers, not just because we're able to save some money on the integrated uh, vendor stack, uh, if you will, which we call resource partners, but because we help on some of the fixed costs with, with personnel. And if you apply, you know, multiples that you see in the space right now, uh, which are really at all-time highs in terms of valuations on REAs, we're able to help increase, uh, I think, in a material way, uh, the enterprise value uh, of these firms as well. And because uh, they have more time, because they're not managing vendors and people, uh, they have more time to grow. So they grow faster, they're more profitable, they have higher enterprise value. And I think as that story is getting told more and more around outsourcing to an integrated end-to-end platform service provider like Dynasty. Uh, We are seeing a lot more interest uh, coming to us uh, from already independent REAs that are really focused on rapid professionalization and that are in aggressive growth mode. I'm going to bring you back to the the beginning again. When you started this uh, with, uh, I think, Ed Swenson and and, and there were some others in there, the was there resistance? Uh, did you detect any resistance from, I guess, the traditional players? Uh, skepticism. What, what was that? What was the environment like? Or, or was everyone like, "This is a great idea, and I think it'll work." Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish it was that easy, right? But it was, so, so this concept of having an integrated uh, technology stack, and you know, if you go back when we started the, you know, the journey for the business, you know, well over you know a dozen years ago. Uh, we were talking about open APIs and technology, which today is, is more kind of table stakes. Back then, it wasn't. There was still a focus on, you know, trying to have more things done on a proprietary basis, uh, more of a strategic focus around captivity uh, with uh, with advisors and open APIs and open source. Uh, and those things were still very early on. So you mentioned Ed. I give Ed a lot of credit around our early stage technology strategy. Uh, which was to really focus our tech spend on integration. You know, we wanted to become, uh, I guess the analogy I would use is the iPad, right? The high-end iPad for the, for the, for the elite RAA uh, that could integrate and curate a suite of apps uh, that could meet the need of the advisor today. But as they grew and evolved and as the industry uh, grows and evolves, we can switch out the apps to make sure that we're including uh, best-in-class capability, Versus going down the rabbit hole and trying to do everything ourselves, uh, which you know over time, and you see this with a lot of the installed uh, players today, uh, you end up having 25, 30 year old technology uh, that is very difficult to innovate on top of. So we designed uh, the business uh, to be nimble in that way. But early on, you know, further to your question, you know, people really wanted to compare us to roll ups that were out there, right? That we're starting to acquire RAAs. And, and we kept you know, trying to go out and educate uh, you know, the marketplace by saying, no, no, we're, we are a integrated platform model where you can come and get all of your technology support. We have an investment platform. 
that's kind of a TAMP plus. So not only do we have SMAs and UMAs, but we have alternative investments and capital markets and access to lending and, and structured products and investment banking, a lot of things that historically hadn't been made available to REAs. And oh, by the way, we have capital too, uh, which is really more of an accommodation. You know, it's both debt. We have debt programs, we have equity programs, but you know those are things that we make available to our core clients that are using us on an integrated basis for the first two businesses, uh, and then we make the capital available to them. And I have to give a lot of credit, David, to our board of directors. Uh, we had you know from the early days, I've been blessed with uh, you know people like Todd Thompson, who was CFO of City and ran the wealth business there. Harvey Golub, who's our Chairman now, obviously, who, who had run American Express and Jim Brown at, at Longridge, who's a personal investor, not through his fund, uh, just has you know tremendous perspective uh, in the space. Jerry Abelhart, who was an old mentor uh, from, from Smith Barney. I, mean, I, really, I really could kind of go down the line. And we had a lot of debates uh, early on uh, around the business model uh, with a focus on you know, where are the gaps? You know, what doesn't exist out there right now that advisors really want to ultimately help them take better care of their clients and build better businesses uh, and to do it in a way that was a bit capital light. Uh, We didn't want to raise a bunch of private equity uh, money out of the gate for Dynasty and give up control. Uh, We really wanted uh, to build a business that was more nimble, that would power entrepreneurs, uh, that you know, we could benefit from what I call positive selection bias, working with advisors that on, on, on the whole are a bit younger uh, in that they have a long runway in front of them. They don't want to give up their equity. They see their best years in front of them. And what can we do uh, to make their life a bit easier to help them, you know, grow their businesses, be more successful. And as they win, we'll win uh, alongside of them as a result. Do you remember your first big win, your first big breakaway? I do. You know, our first our first client uh, was the, the principal was a guy named Alan Harder. Uh, he runs uh, a company called Pactilus, uh, and they're in the DC market. Uh, I had known uh, Alan uh, from years prior during our time at Smith Barney, uh, so having that relationship certainly helped because. You know, we're, we're looking someone in the eye and saying, you know, go ahead, you know, jump out that window and trust us that hand shoot's going to go up and it's going to work and you're going to have a safe landing. And, we're, you know, we're going to be there every step of the way as you take your life's work and transition it to a fully independent firm. It's a lot easier today, uh, as you can imagine, with 75 billion, you know, plus in client assets and, and countless, you know, breakaways and moves later. Uh, than it was back then, where you know we really you know looked Alan in the eye and said we'll figure this uh, out together. And uh, happy to say that you know Alan is uh, is doing quite well. Uh, his business has thrived uh, on the independent side, and uh, still a client uh, today. Uh, and he's very proud, I think, to to say that he was client number one. I, think it, I mean, you guys are certainly on the the right side of history in terms of the industry transition, it strikes me that it's the thing that doesn't stop, right? I mean, uh, you know, how, I guess I always imagine firms like Dynasty and others that are providing services to the independent side as is kind of uh, uh, having to paddle fast. Uh, you know, when do you think, well, okay, we've, you know, we, we've accomplished our mission versus advisors just 
they constantly need more, right? I, the, the, the constantly more services, more, you know, state planning services, tax preparation services, uh, uh, concierge services for ultra high net worth clients, uh, structured products, like you say, alternative investments, so access to uh, the types of investments that they could really previously only get as being part of a Wall Street bank. That's just more and more and more and more and more. How do you kind of make that work and keep the value proposition the same, right? I mean, so you're not charging them necessarily more, you're having to provide more. Where does that go? Yeah. You know, one of the things I like about our business model is the alignment with the advisor, right? The advisor has to stand and deliver every day uh, on behalf of their client or they'll be fired. Uh, we have to stand and deliver every day uh, on behalf of our client who is the advisor or similarly uh, will be fired, right? So that kind of daily accountability, I think, is very healthy within within the business. But I will say part of what drives us you know, to innovate and evolve our business, really, if you take a half step back, we're thrilled to be in, I think, one of the most needed and essential industries in our great country. And we have uh, a bit of a crisis that is continuing to unfold, uh, in, in, in my view, uh, which is the lack of financial literacy and financial health in this country. Uh, if, if you look more broadly, right now, we're at a moment in time where 75% of Americans can't put their hand on $1,000 in an emergency. And it's getting worse. It's, it's not getting better. You look at what's happening with uh, pension funds, endowments, uh, you know, the, the underfunding uh, that, that has, has occurred. And I think fundamentally, you know, the way that we get healthier, whether it's at the individual state, you know, federal level companies, et cetera, it's by delivering world-class uh, financial advice. It's not by selling product to people that they may or may not need. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're really driven, you know, by a much bigger mission, which is to help independent advisors thrive and do well, to tech enable them, so that they can service more clients equally, equally as well uh, tomorrow as they service today. Uh, there is, and this is why I think it's an amazing time. And I would encourage anyone listening uh, that you know maybe is transitioning from the military, retiring school teachers, uh, you know wherever you might be. If you're thinking about getting into wealth management or financial services, please do it. Uh, we need you. Uh, and it's an amazing time to join this industry because there's a supply and demand imbalance. At a time when more, let's look at the, the macro demographics with baby boomers retiring, wealth creation, at a time when more and more Americans need quality financial advice, there's fewer and fewer advisors to deliver it. We've lost 60,000 advisors in the last decade, David, and no one in the industry brokerage firms, IBDs, RAAs, there's no one that's really doing a great job at replacing them. So you went from, you know, call it, you know, 350, 360,000 uh, wealth advisors now to actually below 300,000 over the last uh, decade when manageable, uh, you know, uh, addressable managed wealth in this country has tripled. Hmm. Uh, so it is a bull market for sure on financial advice. Uh, it is a time where it's critical to focus on financial literacy and financial health uh, in this country. Uh, we need talent. We need skilled technology uh, to help uh, more people uh, service more clients. And that's you know, why we fly out of the bed every morning at, at Dynasty is uh, we, we feel like we're doing our little in helping to advance uh, this most uh, critical industry at a very, very important time in this country. 
Well, let's talk about that bull market for advice for a minute. I, you launched Dynasty, I think, on the eve of the last great financial crisis. Uh, and I'm speaking to you today. On a, you know, it looks like uh, the markets are well on their way to lows here. How much damage can the RIA industry withstand in terms of markets falling before changes have to be made or accommodations have to be made, whether that's uh, uh, removing some of the uh, services that they offer or uh, having to maybe let go of people or, or accommodating. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it would look like. I, I remember speaking to Peter the last time when this happened in the early part of the pandemic, uh, when the markets fell apart and he said, okay, one quarter, we're fine. Two quarters, everything's going to change. That didn't happen then. What if it happens now? What do you see coming up in terms of the markets and what that means for the health of the RIA industry? Yeah, well, you know, for, first of all, I would say when you have volatility like we've experienced over the past, you know, several quarters, uh, it is a bit of, of an advisor's Super Bowl, uh, meaning, you know, the best advisors uh, go to work and win on a disproportionate basis in an environment like this, right? When you have sustained, you know, 11, 12, 13 year bull market where it seems like, you know, markets are going up consistently over time, a little less uh, choppiness. Uh, then it, that can breed complacency, uh, both, by the way, on the part of the end consumer or the end client and the advisor. Uh, and what happens in markets like what we have now, uh, more clients uh, want to talk to their advisor. Uh, and those that are being proactive and very proximate uh, with their clients are the ones that are keeping their clients. Uh, but then at the same time, they're going on the offense uh, and they're talking, you know, to other clients who are prospects for them. And, you know, one of the benefits of, of what we get to do here at Dynasty is we're really supporting some of the elite top independent advisors uh, in the country. They're entrepreneurs. Uh, they own their equity in their business. Uh, when the market is off, uh, they go to work and they grow organically. Uh, they are talking, you know, to, to more and more prospects than ever uh, right now. And it seems like, you know, daily my email uh, is filled with great stories where, you know, $20 million client, $50 million client, $100 million, you know, not all ultra wealthy, some are smaller as well, but the amount of wins right now in, in this environment start to accelerate. The other thing, uh, as I mentioned, complacency, and we're seeing this happen as well, is a lot of advisors in particular that were sitting at the wirehouses and and maybe their income, even though their their advisor comp may get slightly adjusted on an annualized basis, their overall income is going up uh, because they might be growing, but also the market's growing as well. But in this environment, uh, you know, they're starting to call us and say, look, if we, we realize that if we want to continue to make an enhanced income, maybe uh, we'll look to move to uh, the side of the industry where we get to keep a larger percentage of our revenue and look to the independent side. So we've had quite uh, an amount of inquiry uh, in, uh, in recent months where, Advisors just historically hadn't looked around, but now uh, as they think about you know, more flexibility for the client, maximizing income, and ultimately uh, thinking about you know, how they might think about succession down the road, uh, they're finding that they'll have more flexibility to do it on the independent side. And the last thing I think I would say uh, is I do think we're reaching a point where valuations uh, with REAs uh, are starting to get stretched. These are amazing businesses. They have great annuitized uh, revenue stream. Uh, they're most critical uh, in terms of the service they provide, as we've discussed. But at some point, you know, you're, you're starting to flex 
uh, in terms of what realistically you can pay for these businesses. And I do think you'll start to see an acceleration uh, with M&A. Uh, with a number of firms that maybe feel uh, similar that I do, which is valuations maybe are at a high. And someone who's been waiting uh, into the future for even higher valuations might uh, suddenly say, you know what, let me go ahead and transact today. So I think that this pullback that we've experienced could be good for REAs from both a organic and inorganic uh, growth perspective for the reasons that I, that I articulated. Yeah, and it's not just the falling markets, right? It's also rising interest rates. And, and how much of the RIA boom has been fueled uh, by private equity? I know you have some thoughts on that. And, and what does a rising rate, uh, lower equity price combination mean for those deals? You know, I guess we don't really know yet, right? We haven't seen a, a, a big exit, but uh, what is your sense of the amount of private equity that's in the RIA space and, and what it might mean? Yeah, I think, look, as a whole, the the amount of capital that has come in over the last decade to the REA space, I think, has has been quite good. Uh, it's obviously driven more attention uh, to the space. And at this point, as I like to tell people, uh, the REA uh, ecosystem is, is quite well discovered. Uh, and as I said, you know, it's, it's a great place to invest, not just in REAs, but also in the ecosystem around it with technology and product and service providers, platform providers like Dynasty. You know, the, the rising uh, tides within the RA space have floated a lot of boats, that, that's for sure. But when you look at and you start to unpack growth and the importance of organic growth, in particular, as you say, in a rising interest rate uh, environment where the cost of debt, as an example, uh, will begin to rise over time, uh, if you're acquiring uh, businesses uh, with at a high price with a substantial amount of leverage and you're not helping those businesses grow organically, you can become stretched over time. And we have historically a dynasty. In fact, today we have no debt. Uh, we've not levered uh, up our business at all to make sure that we have maximum flexibility. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I like to say to advisors, look, when you're thinking about selling even a piece of your firm, really understand the capital construct of the business that you're selling to and who owns them and what might be their motivation, what might be their challenges down the road. There's you know, a, a number of product providers that are out there that are buying into REAs in part you know, to try to drive distribution of their product. There are private equity firms, uh, obviously, that are in the market. There's public companies that are, that are in the market. There are uh, strategics uh, there are family office. I mean, there's so many options. I always like to remind advisors that you know, if this is your first time that you're having a conversation with a sophisticated uh, financial partner, get yourself an advisor, whether it's a consultant, an investment banker, uh, a lawyer, a tax professional, someone who does it all the time. I mean, you just really don't want to be on the field of battle, you know, fighting against the Navy SEALs figuring out how to shoot the weapons you know, while you're in the middle of the battle. Uh, this is what they do all the time. If you don't know, you know what a preferred return and picks and, and various you know, structural elements uh, of a private equity investment is, uh, then you're probably not ready to negotiate a term sheet with a private equity-backed uh, uh, RAA. Uh, so make sure you're surrounding yourself with advisors uh, that uh, live in that space. Uh, and again, they're, they're, these aren't uh, I don't think that 
these are bad options. It's really about understanding the whole suite of options uh, that best fit uh, your particular need. But the last thing I'll say on it, it does surprise me. Uh, you know, David, I go to fortunate enough to, to speak at a lot of industry events and love to attend various events for my own uh, professional development. And inevitably, I'll find my way, you know, to dinner or a bar or something in the evening with a group of advisors. And someone might be unhappy that they've sold a piece of their firm uh, or sold all of their firm and they can't reverse it. It's irreversible. And they say, we wish we you know, knew what we know now then before we made the decision. So it just underscores the importance of due diligence. And you know, advisors should do what they would tell their client to do. If their client was looking to sell their business, they would tell them to get an investment banker, to get the right group of advisors, to run a process. And let's just not have it be a scenario of the cobbler shoes where we have to live out the own, uh, our own advice that we're giving to our clients as well. Yeah, that's great. And I, I know we've got just a few more minutes here. I know we've got a, a deadline. We're going to get the hook. But uh, I know that uh, Dynasty has flirted with uh, the idea of uh, uh, going public. Anything in the market that kind of changes that trajectory or where does that sit? Well, obviously, the markets have, have been quite uh, volatile. Uh, I will tell you, we, uh, we have filed uh, RS1. And for us, uh, you know, we like the ability to perpetuate uh, our business. Uh, on, in some ways, I say, uh, live up to our name, uh, which is Dynasty, uh, which means winning consistently, uh, executing at a high level for a very long uh, period of time. Uh, we like the transparency. Uh, that comes with with being public uh, in terms of showcasing financial uh, strength, you know, of your partner. You know, for advisors, whether they're outsourcing or breaking away, you know, from a, a, an organization to launch their own their own firm, who they partner with matters a lot. And understanding the longevity uh, of their partner, will my partner be there not just for the launch, but to help me professionalize the business over time, and then ultimately help me think through succession planning and. Uh, and to perpetuate our our business, to further align us uh, with our clients, with the advisory firms, to help raise awareness uh, for our brand and our business. I mean, our our business more and more, David, is becoming a in, you know from an ingredient perspective, very valuable to the underlying brands that we serve. Uh, and you see a lot of the advisors talking about their brand, powered by Dynasty. And as more and more end consumers look for uh, an independent advisor. The good news is, uh, you know, there's more and more of them. The challenge is, how do I pick, you know, which one? So I really see Dynasty becoming more and more the good housekeeper seal of approval, if you will, for independent advice. Right? Look for an independent advisor. Get your advice separate from where products manufactured and sold. Get one that's powered by Dynasty, right? Because they're going to have, you know, strong access to capital and great technology and broad-based product access. Uh, strong compliance support, et cetera, all the things we want our brand to stand for. And we think making our way into the public markets will accelerate our ability to support our advisors to grow both organically as well as inorganically. Final question. Uh, I know that uh, Dynasty has gotten into uh, the financing for advisors, uh, advisor transactions. Uh, you have a, a capital purchase program where you, you can purchase 5% of a revenue stream. Uh, as some other programs moving into M&A. Anytime, uh, Dynasty going to become a owner of these firms? Will you ever acquire? Will you ever be a RIA owner? Yeah, well, Dynasty, first of all, I would say is committed to being a B2B business. So Dynasty uh, is unabashedly advo advocating for financial advisors, uh, in particular, obviously, independent uh, financial 
uh, advisors. So we're, we're never looking to compete with our advisors. We fundamentally believe that bad things can happen when you turn a great entrepreneur into an employee. Uh, so our capital programs uh, top out at a 20% purchase uh, of an advisor's business. It's really kind of that first bite of the apple uh, to help them practice what they preach in part around diversification. Uh, we uh, can certainly finance some of our RAAs uh, to acquire 100% of other RAAs, but we at the Holdco are not looking to manage uh, advisors. You know, we're a, uh, a wealth technology business uh, first, we're an investment platform second, and a capital provider third uh, in, in terms of in that order, in terms of size and scale of, of those various businesses. But because we've run the business, I think you know, in a way that really preserves our capital over time, we've been able to use you know, our balance sheet to support our advisors on, on, on various uh, capital needs. Uh, we'll continue uh, to do that. Uh, we've added investment banking uh, expertise uh, to the team to help our advisors grow uh, inorganically. We've uh, created succession programs uh, to help the multi-generational teams uh, with succession plans uh, internally. Uh, but no, we'll not be out there acquiring 100% of advisors. Uh, it's just not our business model. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Cheryl, I know we're, we're hard up against our deadline. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been enlightening for me as always uh, and continued success. David, thank you so much for having me. And this has been the Advisor Innovations Podcast. Thank you for listening. podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member of FINRA SIPC. LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with wealthmanagement.com.